0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. It's been an interesting season for me. Um... Some of you, for, for those who I've been talking with and I've been sharing with, has been a, a very interesting season and just being, uh, trying to balance what it means to be working out of church. I used to be in full-time ministry and just over the last few years, just trying to balance it out and trying to figure it out. You know, in, in full-time ministry, it seems so much easier. I, maybe, maybe not, but you know, it seems Oh, Jason is laughing. It seems. It seems so much easier because it feels like you you need to spend more time reading the scriptures. It feels like, or it seems that you need to go into your prayer closet a little bit more. But when you start working and you're going out in the marketplace, it just feels a little bit harder because there's more things that are trying to take your attention away from going into the presence of God. Right, uh, if those who feel me. For those who are in the marketplace, maybe it's just me and trying to adjust my my schedule, trying to adjust my priorities, and going into the prayer closet and spending time with God. Uh, maybe you guys have it easy. I have it difficult. But I've been it's it's been a tough season. Uh, so a few months ago, I wrote a Facebook post that uh, I think Andre brought up. I'm just going to read this Facebook post that I wrote. Um, like like me on Fa- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wrote this, I, I, I said this, I've sat on two sides of the coin and I'm not sure which is easier. I was once serving full-time in ministry and understood what it meant to dedicate and devote time to prayer. The expression of cultivating intimacy with Jesus felt more tangible. Setting time aside to read the scriptures and pick up an instrument to worship felt easier. Committing time to corporate prayer and worship, especially in the prayer room, felt more seamless. Now I hold a full-time job in a large, large local enterprise and I find, it that, I find that I have to fight just to posture my heart toward God. It is a struggle most of the time. It's hard to cultivate a heart of prayer, especially when you don't feel you're in a conducive greenhouse. For me, it's a discipline, the 15-minute commute to work, the 10 minutes in the toilet, ask me why 10 minutes, but 10 minutes in the toilet. The 20 20 minutes in between lunch break, the verse I've been meditating meditating on throughout the day. It's difficult, but it's worth it. There will come a day where 24-7 will be a reality. There will come a day where from the rising of the sun to its setting, his name will be made great in all nations. But until that day, I will fight to posture my heart. I will fight to give what I can, not leftovers, but my first fruits. I will fight because Jesus is worthy of it all. And so a few months ago, I wrote this post because it was really a fight to posture my heart to see God worship 24-7. It's a fight to see my heart disciplined and to spend time with God. And I don't know about you, again, maybe it's me, but I've been, it's been a wrestle for me over the last few months of just wanting to be in that posture, wanting to be in that position of worship. And so over the last few months, I've been reading on the life of Jacob. Of course, I'm going to talk about the wrestle with God and Jacob, and so the last few months I've been reading lots of scriptures on the life of Jacob, I've been uh, listening to sermons on the life of Jacob, and so today I'm going to preach on the life of Jacob and his wrestle with God. So I don't know about wrestling. So I I grew up watching wrestling when wrestling was actually actually entertaining, right? I'm not looking at you, Andrew. By the way, you know how he dislocated his uh, elbow, elbow, right? by skipping church for going for a wrestling match see okay (laughs) no it was I knew I reacted I wasn't really, really I totally forgot about it um and so, you know, in primary school, I used to pretend wrestle with my friends. How many in that era grew up watching Ric Flair and Macho Man Randy Savage and watching Hulk Hogan, the real wrestlers? You know, and I, I don't know who the wrestlers are today, but these guys were real wrestlers. You know, I was tempted to do the Ric Flair walk, but I would not do it and embarrass myself. But you know what? We'll, you know, I would play, uh, we we'll would do pretend wrestling when I was in, in primary school with my friends. You know, we, we took to the extent of taking a cardboard and we're just sort of like, carve out the entire belt, the WWF. When it used to be called WWF, we carve out the entire belt and we'd raise it up and we'd pretend wrestle or practice the Boston Crab and the Sharpshooter and the Figure Four on my friends because it was a cool thing. Do you guys remember those moves? Yeah. Yeah, 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 We pretend to do DDT also because of... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and, and, um, and so this was wrestling, and we would do it for like 20, 25 minutes during recess, and we would be stinking, we would be sweating, we were tired, and this was just pretend wrestling. Right? Pretend wrestling, but we were tired just pretending how to wrestle. And here we're going to read a story of a man that wrestled with God for six hours. And I believe that there was a supernatural anointing and a supernatural grace that empowered Jacob to wrestle from midnight all the way till sun broke. He went on a six-hour wrestling with God all all night long. And I believe that there's a grace and anointing to stay in the wrestle. And I'm not just talking about Jacob as an individual, but I'm talking about the Jacob generation. Later, I'm going to reference um, psalms chapter 24 and i i i know very little references of when the bible talks about an entire generation like he labels it an entire generation he calls a jacob generation and i believe that i'm speaking to a jacob generation this morning that he's going to anoint us with the grace to lay hold of god and to not quit you see there's a grace to be known by god and a grace to know god but there's also a grace to not quit And here, Jacob was wrestling with God for six hours. And I believe that God is going to take a generation like ours and to bring us into a revelation of the face of God like we've never seen before. Young people, when Jason prayed that prayer over you of Isaiah chapter 6, and he talked about where we'll begin to behold, there's a clarity to see the face of God. I'm believing that it is a coming day that an entire generation will begin to see the face of God like Jacob. Coming day or even doing worship when Axel was asking the worship team to repeat the last chorus, the last song, praise the name, praise the name. And I begin to think about the scriptures in Revelation chapter 5 when the Bible says that every tribe, every tribe, it's not just one tribe. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will begin to cry out to God and say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, that all power, glory, honor belongs to Him, the one who's seated on the throne. I believe that there is a coming day that eyes would be opened, that spiritual eyes will be opened to see God, His face. I love what Paul says in first Corinthians fifteen ten, it says, By but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And I believe that there's a grace, even this morning, for us to behold him, to stay in the fight, to lay hold of him and to not quit. You see, when the grace of God lays hold of you, you'll be empowered to do that you can never do on your own strength. And I love it that God chooses an unlikely character on an unlikely night in his most fearful and broken season and God lays hold of Jacob. I'm going to just give a context to the story and we'll end in Genesis chapter 32. But this is a man who is the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the younger twin brother of Esau. And from the beginning of time when he was born, he was called Jacob, which means a planter, trickster, deceiver. And if you are familiar with the passage, you'll we'll see in his life that in two occasions, uses deception to cheat his older brother. You all know this story? Right? I'm just going to give the context. Um, the first time was when he caught Esau in a wary state. And he says, I'll cook and give you food if you give me your birthright. And of course, Esau said, sure, fine. What is this birthright anyway? And Jacob steals the birthright of Esau. And the second time, it involves both his mother and Jacob. And they conspire against the father, Isaac, who was older, dying and blind. He, he, um, Jacob tells Esau, go and kill for me, cook a stew for me, so that I can give you a father's blessing. The mother, of course, hears about it, tells Jacob, the son that she favors, put on, put on some fur, look like your brother, feel like your brother, smell like your brother. You're going to walk in and pretend to be Esau, and you will steal the blessing that was meant for your brother, and you will get it for yourself. Of course, we know the story. Jacob walks in, puts on the fur, receives the blessing from Isaac, and hours later, Esau returns, and there and then, Esau vowed in his breath that he will kill Jacob. There will come a day that Esau will kill Jacob in his breath. And he says, and of course, in fear, Jacob runs off. Know the story? Yep. Familiar with the story? And so this is Jacob. 20 years later, we know he ends up with his uncle, uh, Uncle Laban. And he, um, of course, Laban teaches him a trick or two and teaches him what it means to cheat and to de- deceive one. And I think Jacob received what he, he was, he sold. And for 20 years, he lived under the deception of his father, uh, his uncle and he reaped it from his father-in-law, with Laban. And 20 years go by and begins to stir in his heart of Jacob to go back to his homeland. He wants to go back to his father's house. We know the story. He eventually reconciles with Laban. He eventually goes back. And when he returns, he hears that Esau has 400 men ready to meet Jacob. The same Esau, 20 years ago, that vowed that he would kill Jacob if he sees him again. The same Esau that Jacob had, last time no Instagram. You won't be able to see how Esau is doing, whether or not he went for a youth camp and got reconciled with the brother and suddenly felt forgiveness. He did not know. And Jacob was in a state of fear, uncertainty. And he was going back. It was so funny. He decided that he's going to split up his family. You know, okay, the two maid servants, you guys die first, never mind. It's fine, you all go ahead. The two wives Leah, why don't you go first? If you die, it's okay because my favorite wife, Rachel, will still be around. And so he splits up his family, sends them onto different groups. We know the story. He begins to send hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animals animals to Esau to hopefully appease Esau. But of course, he had no news of how Esau was feeling. And this is a story and the backdrop of where Jacob is. He is now backed into a corner. He's backed into a corner where all of his fears, all of his lies and all of his deception has come into a moment and it brings us to the passage of Genesis chapter 32. Understand the backdrop, understand where we're at. So I'm just going to read Genesis chapter 32, and I believe that we have Jacobs in the room today. I believe we have a generation that's been backed into the corner where God will take us into a divine moment where we'll run out of our own strength, our own wisdom, and our own ability to bail ourselves out. But it's in these moments that God will show up and say, I want to lay hold of your life. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. You guys hear with me? Here we go. So Genesis 32 verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. Oh, I love it. I love it that Jacob was left in the position of being alone. And God has tailored moments for us in a corporate setting, but I also believe that God has tailored moments for us in an individual setting. And here we see the life of Jacob being left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, overpower him and eventually find out that this man is God, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then he, the man said, "Let go! let me go for its daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome, or in some versions prevailed. Jacob said, Please tell me your name, but he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared, or in other versions delivered. So I just want to highlight a couple of phrases in this passage that I believe of a picture of what God will be doing for this generation. So when I talk about generation, I just don't mean young people. You know, every time we go to a youth conference and then the speaker always say, this generation, right, it it, it always references to the young people, but I believe that I'm referencing to everyone who is in this room, whether you are young or not so young, a generation, entire generation. Mind you, when Jacob was wrestling with God, he was not a young chap, right? We we have a clue that he was about 40 years old when he deceived uh, Isaac and ran away, so he was about 40. We also know that he was away for about 20 years. So that puts him at a ballpark of about 60 years old. So this guy is like, and he died about 150 years, so 157 if I remember correctly. So this guy is going through midlife crisis, about 60 years old, um, a bit old. But this guy was wrestling with God, right? So I'm, I'm not talking about the young guys today, although it's also important for the young ones to hear about wrestling with God. But I'm talking about all of us in the room. People who are both young and old. But this is really interesting because I'm talking about a generation of where I think we're the most socially connected generation ever. And I think that the things that we do via social media is unheard of. I mean, I have the privilege to live through the day when Facebook was first launched about 10 years ago. I, was, I, have the, I have the benefit of living through the era of dial-up 56K to broadband internet. How many of you grew up when you had to go home and then you press and dial in and then you go shower, come down, then you hear the, you know, the sound, and then you are like, click a website, you go out, and then you come, take a, finish a lunch, the website just finished loading. Uh, I used to have a computer that had four megabyte memory. That's the amount of memory that you have in like thumb drives 10 years ago. Right? So this was the generation era I lived with. But I also believe that this is a generation that struggles with loneliness and isolation the most. where not everyone truly knows you, yet everyone knows about you, we have become a generation that knows everything about people. For example, I know when Amy does her laundry now, uh, when the sun comes up, I'll see her Instagram story and know that she's just finished laundry. I also know that Jason and Constance go to uh, Jewel every Monday for their date, uh, for their date Mondays. Right? So we know a lot about people without actually knowing people. Right? And the problem is we've replaced the knowing about with the actual knowing, and these two things are drastically different from one another. And we've taken the exact same behavior with how we face God. It's good to know about God. It's good to know the scriptures in the Bible. It's good to know. But do we know God? If I can name certain truths about God, then I know Him. But there's a huge difference between knowing things about God and actually knowing Him. And so in this story, we see God wrestling with a man till the breaking of the day. What I love about this story, and sometimes we read through scriptures and we just sort of glance through it. But this is God who decides to take up the form of man. This is, I believe, the first instant instant in the Bible where God takes the form of man and He meets with man face to face. We're talking about God, the uncreated one. We're talking about God, the holy one. We're talking about God. The Bible says that heaven is His throne and earth is His footstool. We're talking about this God who in His breath spins the world into motion, who's mixed and creates the universe. This is the same God in His love and humility takes the form and shape of a human being and lays hold of another man. Right? We read the scripture like, oh, but this is God. And this is the God that's going to lay hold of our lives today and lay His hands on you because God is in the business of taking our lives despite our sins and our sinful nature and escort us into a new revelation of God. And even like the life of Jacob, many of us are living our lives through other people. We're putting, like, you know, Jacob puts on the garments of Esau to pretend to be someone else, to steal the Father's blessing. I believe there's many of us who put on the other garments to look like someone or to worship like someone else or to behave another way or to act another way just so that we can get the Father's blessing. But today, I believe that God wants to lay His hands on us individually. He wants us and He wants to meet us. That's just my introduction. Point number one. From wrestling to prevailing. Jacob was backed in the corner. He had lied and deceived and everything to begin, and begins to crash on him. This is when God begins to lay hold of Jacob. Now all of Jacob's greatest fears is going to collide with all the promises of God when God lays hold of him and God wrestles with Jacob all night long. Jacob had a supernatural grace to not let go of God. So much so that, Jacob, that God had to look at Jacob and says, let me go for the day is breaking. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God, if I don't get a breakthrough here, if I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to let you go. Jacob was in a desperate situation. And I believe that God will release grace on a generation that will lay hold of God and not quit. So I've, I've always asked this question, why do you think God wrestled with Jacob, right? And I used to read these scriptures while growing up as a teenager, as a young adult, and I would wonder why would, of all things, would God, I mean, God could do all sorts of things, but chooses to wrestle with God. And I've only discovered this truth over the last year when I begin to wrestle with Zion. Because Zion is, uh, for those who don't know, I have a two-year-old, two year her name is Zion, Anna, and um, over the last few months, she's beginning to get a bit more active. And it's fine as a two-year-old to start throwing her across the room and onto the bed. It's, it's, it's fine to like, like lift her, throw her, swirl her, whatever, right? And now I'm learning to, what it means to wrestle with God. But to, for me, to wrestle with Zion is not to overpower her, right? Of course, because while well, her name is strong, she's not that strong yet, right? But it's, so the idea of wrestling with her is to bond with her. The idea of wrestling is to connect with her. And I believe this is God's invitation for us or for Jacob at that moment to bond and to connect with Jacob. Even as he begins to lay hold of Jacob, he's inviting Jacob to know God. And what I love about this story, it doesn't end with just by being known by God. But it ends or it starts with Jacob saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. Until you have promised everything that... Now, this is not the first encounter God and Jacob had. A few chapters before, God and Jacob, has a, there's, a, there's a prayer conversation going on of Jacob says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to my father, uh, my uncle's house. It's going to be a tough time. And, you know, it's sad, blah, blah, blah. And, he, and, and God says, you know what, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make sure that you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You're going to return to your father's house. And so th- th- this is the first time God... and And uh, Jacob sorts of have a conversation. But in that conversation, God begins to promise things to Jacob that you will be blessed, that you will achieve great things, that you will be a nation. And he begins to bless Jacob. And so this is Jacob. Can you imagine Jacob running away? He's got nothing. He feels like he's going to die. His life is at the end of the road. His life is, is almost potentially going to end at that moment. And he begins to wrestle with God and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me everything that you've promised over my life, everything that you've promised over my generation, God, I want it. I want it to be in and true in my life. And I believe that God also wants to break that passivity and apathy in this generation of where when we begin to lay hold of God, that there will be a cry that comes out from our spirit man that begins to say, God, God, I will not let you go until you bless me, until you bless me for my generation. Young people, again, we're not about young people. My youth pastor thing coming out. (laughs) Okay, all of you young people, right? By default, when I say young people, I refer to all of you, right? Just in case it comes out again. I'm just referring to you, the oldest man in the room, young people. Young people. He's calling forth for us to break away from that that passivity and empathy when we begin to cry out to God, God, I will not let you go until you bless me and bless this generation through me. What do you really need from God right now? What breakthroughs and blessings do you want from Him? How badly do you want it? There are times when God only releases His blessing on us after a season of prolonged and even painful wrestling. And God will meet you in our anguish, in our fear, in our uncertainty. He may not meet us where we expect it to be or desire, but at the end of the day, I believe that God is releasing an anointing to lay hold of Him and not quit. Point two, from wrestling to transformation. God asked Jacob the famous question, what is your name? See, when God asked this question, he wasn't really looking for an answer, like as if he didn't know Jacob's name, right? It's like nowadays when Zion does something wrong, I say, Zion, what did you do? Not as if I didn't know what she did, right? I knew exactly. I know exactly what she, she did, and I'm, I'm asking the question because I want her to know what she did. And here we see God asking Jacob this question, what is your name? God was dealing with the elephant in the room. That is our old identity. That was Jacob's identity, which you have tried to fulfill the promises of your own life in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own deceit. He, Jacob tried to achieve a strife for all this in his life through his own ability. And God says, what is your name? The Lord looks at him and says, Jacob, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. And I believe even as I'm preaching today, even as we have an opportunity to respond to God later this morning, that there's going to be some name changes today where God will begin to take our old identity, and God will begin to transform us into His likeness. From a deceiver to a name of royalty, from a name of where it means supplanter to a name of acceptance, the Father is breaking off and delivering a generation from false identities and into his embrace. From wrestling to transformation. Point three. This is my longest point, by the way. It's almost half my sermon. So sit tight. From wrestling to revelation. And this is what I love about the story when Jacob begins to flip it around and ask God, what is your name? Think about it, right? They're wrestling. God asks Jacob, what's your name? And then Jacob's like, great, my name is Jacob. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to change your name. Your name is no longer going to be Jacob. It's going to be called Israel because you have prevailed with God and you have have, have won and you you have wrestled with God and you've prevailed. And I believe this is where history will begin to change when man turns and flips the question to God and begin to ask God, who are you? Let me say that again. I believe history will begin to change when we flip that question to God and we begin to call, cry out to God and ask God, Who are you? What is your name? I believe that there's a cry that God is awakening in a generation all over the world. I want to know you, God. I want to know who you are. I want to see your glory. This is the same exact cry Moses says in the mountain. And he says, God, show me your glory. This is the exact cry. And I believe there is an intercessory cry that will begin to, raise, to be raised up, raised up from this generation that will cry out, God, who are you? I want to have a breakthrough in experiencing you. I want to experience your beauty, your glory your love, who you are. Young people, can I say that we need to achieve or we need to fight for a breakthrough where we'll begin to step into a greater revelation of who He is. You see, God is infinite. God is infinite. His glory knows no bounds. His holiness knows, no bounces, his love is infinite, and friends, we've only tested, we've only tasted a drip, a drop of who He is in our experience with him, but there's so much more that we can experience God, and all it takes for us is to cry out to God and says, "God, who are you?" Every day, I pray Ephesians over my life, and I pray God, give me the wisdom of spirit of wisdom and revelation that I may know you. You see, it is foolish for us to think that we will know. Everything about God is foolish. God is infinite. And I want to be in an, inter- an, uh, an eternal search of God, an eternal search and discovery of God. God, what is your name? Show me your glory. I want to search and discover you. I don't want to know what Wikipedia says about him. I don't want to know his story. I mean, it's great. Uh, I mean, historical facts is great. Wikipedia is great. But I want to break the glass to see a whole generation that will begin to cry out and to know God. To know the moving and breathing knowledge of God. I believe Paul was thinking about the story of Jacob when he wrote Philippians 3.12. It says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. You know, I think about the scriptures in Matthew chapter sixteen. Uh, for those who know the story, Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus begins to take his disciples and they go to a region called Caesarea Philippi. And he asks the disciples, "Hey, what do the other people say about who I am?" Right? You know the story. So the disciples begin to say, "Oh, some say you're like the prophet Elijah. Some say you're a good man. Some say you're, uh, you know, a, a wise teacher. You're a rabbi." Right? And Jesus flips the question that he asks them. Then, "Who do you say I am?" And of course, we know this scripture when Peter begins to say, you are the Son of God, the Messiah, and uh, Jesus looks at Peter and says, wow, what you have just said, whatever you have uttered has not been revealed to you unless through the, um, revealed to you by the Father. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. We know this story? Right, sometimes I, I, I used to read this scripture again and I used to think, okay, what do you mean by uh, upon this rock you'll build this church? Upon what? Upon Peter? I mean, of course, Peter, the name means rock. Um, and of course, we know that the early church leaders was, was, uh, was fronted by Peter. But I believe when Jesus began to say that statement, upon this rock, He was referring upon the truth of the revelation of who Jesus is. Upon that revelation, upon that truth, I will build my church upon the revelation of who God is. Two weeks ago, uh, I had an encounter with God in the middle of the night, and it was a a very interesting encounter. I was going to play bass the next morning. It was about 1.30 a.m., and for those who are in the music team, we have to report to church at 7. I couldn't sleep till 1 plus um, in the morning, and I was just crying, and because... I was on social media and I was looking. Uh, so I was just being vulnerable, right? So I was just looking on social media, and I was like, "Oh, you know, so and so went out with so and so, and so and so went out with so and so, but I didn't get invited to either party, although I'm actually part of so and so group and the so and so group." And then I was, I began to encounter God in that in that moment of like. Um, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, self-pity. It's almost like self-pity. Like, I just began to encounter God, like... And it was also strange for me because um, I haven't been playing bass for over six months. For some strange reason, the roster meant I didn't play. Um, and so I wasn't playing for six months, and I was going to play the next morning. So I was not on band. I haven't sp- I haven't preached in over a year and a half. And I just got this whole, like, identity. Like, oh, God, who am I really? What's my worth? What's my value? I, you know, I'm a terrible Christian because I don't preach on stage anymore. I, actually, I don't worship lead anymore. I don't do anything. And, you know, and and... And for someone who has been doing that for many years of your life, for someone who has been in the pulpit for many years and been, been responsible for preaching or leading worship and, and doing all these things, it, it, suddenly, it, it suddenly just like the whole thing enveloped me and I was like, oh God, I'm in a, I'm in a, bad, sp- in a bad state. And I, I just began to, to worship and begin to pray. And God asked me this question. He says, John, would you still worship me? See, I've, I've reached a place of where um, I'm very comfortable about my identity now, right? I'm a, I'm a father. I know I don't have as much time. I'm working in the marketplace. And so um, I, I've been in a, in, a, in a good place of knowing what God has called me for and what God will call me unto. But I have a problem with what I used to think was my identity of all the past accolades and significance I used to have from all the things I used to do. And so in that evening and that night, God asked me, John, if I to take away everything of your past significance. Take it away. Will you still worship me? And that was tough because I've... I've I'm okay, I'm okay now, you know, I I understand my identity as a father and what it means to devote time to the family and and I I, I get it and I know that maybe I don't have enough energy and time to do all the the heavy lifting in church or being more more present in in the church things, but I place a lot of, of treasures in my past significance and God began to ask me, John, if I take that away from you, will you still worship me? And even in that moment, I just begin to worship and I begin to cry and I just begin to, 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 to dialogue with God. And I knew that there was a greater, greater revelation of who God is even in that moment that God desires our past, our present and our future. And He desires us not so much of the fact that He is interested in what we can do for Him, but He's interested in our own lives and who we are in our heart and whether our heart is, 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 is soft, soft, soft. And I just begin to ask God, God, who are you? And in that moment, I realized that the question of what is your name and who are you, we can never graduate from it. We can never graduate from it. You know, Mark 10, 40, 46, I don't think I have it on slides, but in Mark 10, 46, I think it's one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. Mark ten forty six talks about Jesus walking into the city of Jericho. And in the same verse, Jesus leaves Jericho. 10.46, then he came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. Wow. He walked in, he walked out. But in that passage of Mark 10.46 was a story of a blind man called Bartimaeus, that who began in his blindness, begin to say, Jesus, son of God, son of David, have mercy on me. I think it's really sad that it took a blind man to notice Jesus walking through the town. That everybody else was in the town. In fact, if you read that story in Mark chapter 10, you would see that people were shushing uh Bartimaeus, keep quiet, shut up, don't talk, don't be a nuisance. But it took a blind man to recognize that God was laying hold of a town of a city. And I think it's really sad if Jesus appears in our church service, if Jesus appears in our youth camps, if Jesus appears in our office, in the marketplace, that we don't notice what Jesus is doing at that point of time because we've been so busy and we're so consumed with other things. But I believe that God is going to rise up, raise up a generation that will know and see God and recognize God and will begin to lay hold of God. It takes a blind man to notice Jesus walking through the town. Have we been so consumed with our lives that we have no longer any strength to lay hold of God? God encountered Jacob and he walked away from that moment limping for the rest of his life. But he can say, I saw the face of God. So I don't know what happened there in that moment. The next verse says that Jacob saw God face to face and he lived through it. This was the same God that tells Moses, hey dude, like you can't really see me face to face, but if you see my back, you'll live. Because once you see my face, you'll be consumed by my glory. But this is God who sees Jacob and Jacob who sees God face to face. We see that phrase so quickly, seeing the face of God and he lived through it. But I believe it was a glorious moment. Psalms 24. The earth is the Lord and everything's in it, the world and all who lives in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. How many of you, the song is ringing your head? I never like leading that song. <laughs> Sorry, true. But you know that song? Okay. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Such is the generation of those who... A generation. Everyone says generation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face. O God of Jacob. What God did with Jacob many years ago... What God did with Jacob was many years ago. But it is the desire of God to do exactly the same thing, but not just with one individual, but with an entire generation. The entire generation that will see God, that will be obsessed with one thing. A generation that will have an overarching cry in the depths of their heart. A generation that will cry out, I want to see your face. A generation that required God, I want to go on a search and discovery of who you are. I don't care if it leaves me limping. I don't care if it gets me into a wrestle and where it's painful and it's difficult. I don't care if I have to wrestle with God for six hours, but I want to get lost in the face of God. I don't want to live in the distance, but I want to just draw close into His presence and to lay hold of God. Don't ever settle for a plastic knowledge of God. Don't ever settle for knowing about God. There's an invitation this morning that God is giving us to know Him and to lay hold of Him. And I want to see a generation that will pay the price to say that I want to go into the presence of God and I want to lay hold and I will invest my entire life to lay hold of who He is. An entire generation. Again, I'm not talking about young ones who seem to have more energy and more time. I'm talking about a Jacob who is a 60-year-old who has got everything put together. He's got his wife, he's got his kids, he's got his grandkids. I don't know whether he had grandkids then. Hmm. Maybe he did. But he's got his whole family, he's got his hundreds of his sheep, and he's... In that moment, he says, I still want to lay hold of God. I don't want to be in a place of complacency, but I want to wrestle with God, and I want to have in, be in a place of understanding and knowing who God is and the revelation of who He is. That God is fire. That God is fully God and fully man. That God is one that is the, un- the creator of the universe, That God is the one that knows our every thought before we think it. The one who knows our every word before we even say it. The the one who knows our action before we even do it. This is the God that I want to lay hold of and I want to know and have a revelation of who He is. See, I don't want us to be complacent believers who is okay. Who is okay about just knowing about God. Can I tell you honestly? When I left full time ministry, there was time when I would lead communion, and I'll be like, "Okay, let's just pull something out of the rabbit bag, right?" And so, okay, okay, let's just pull out this scripture and pull out this verse. It's so easy for someone who knows the scripture or you've read the Bible before. It's so easy to pull out the old man. It's easy to pull out what you think, or sometimes you. I kind of know this verse is in Psalms twenty six, you know, maybe. But you know what? Let's Google this. This is great. And I've been in a season of that in the complacency and I know that God is desiring for a generation for people who hunger and thirst for God, not just know about God. It's going to take a Jacob generation, transform them into new identities and they're going to come limping into the next season but they will be forever marked in their lives. That is a generation that God is looking for coming to my last point in hebrews 12 11 verse 21 i love this i love this verse i love the picture of hebrews 11 21 in hebrews we know in chapter 11 God, uh, the writer of hebrews begins to write about all these people of faith and he writes about jacob and this is what the writer the author of hebrews have to say about jacob by faith jacob when he was dying blessed each of joseph's son sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Oh, I love it. I love it on two fronts. Number one, I love it because there is a generational blessing that will come forth from people who are marked by God in the wrestle. That we, instead of wrestling, there will be a blessing that will come forth from a generation that will lay hold of God. There will be a blessing that will be released. That Even as Jacob blesses the next generation, I believe that there will be a blessing that will be released from you, through you, to the generations to come there's a leg- legacy there's a legacy that we will leave behind because of our actions that we do today that as we lay hold of God young people now this is the literal young people when you're going for your camp this week I want you to go into a camp knowing that even as you lay hold of God and make a decision to give God your life and to go and chase after Him wholeheartedly, my vision and my picture for you even in your teens and your early 20s, that when you lay hold of God in your 70s, you'll be like Jacob There will walk, in, the Bible says in, in Genesis that he walked into Egypt with his staff limping and even as you begin in your 60s and 70s, you will begin to walk in because of a limb that you have when you wrestled with God, that God marks you and there's a generation that will be bless through you even this week when you say, God, I will chase after you. And I don't care whether that result happens in 10 years, in 20 years, or 30 years, or 50 years, but this was 70 years later when Jacob at the end of his life was worshipping, was seen, was written about him that he blesses his sons, his Joseph, Joseph's sons. He blesses the next generation, but he' worshiping. Even the Bible says he's dying, but he's worshiping. Even in his last breath, he's caught worshiping God. Even in his last breath, he's caught praising God. Even in his last breath, the Bible says that he's resting on the staff, that this is the identity of Jacob now, that he's one that is wrestling with God, that is, is limping because of what he marked, what God marked him with 70 years ago. Friends, there's a legacy that you and I can leave behind for the generations to come because of the wrestle we decide to do now. Jacob was a man who stole blessings from another, but he became one that became a blessing to the the next generation. And I I believe today that there's an invitation from God to wrestle with God. David, when he wrote Psalms 24... I love how David's so prophetic in his Psalms. He writes Psalms 24 and he says, oh, and I, I, I don't know whether you've been, you've been songwriters or there's songwriters in, 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 in the room today, but even as you begin to write songs or you begin to write your journal, your entries, or whatever it is, and when, when Dave, this is the Psalms is almost like David's journal, right? in his meditation with God, and he writes whatever he sees and he imagines. And David writes in Psalms 24 about a future reality of an entire generation that will seek the face of God, like Jacob, an entire generation like Jacob. David writes about a generation, a Jacob generation, one that will seek his face. I don't know whether we'll see that reality in our lifetime of an entire generation. But that's what I'm that is what I'm contending for. That there will really be a generation that's seated in this room today. I don't care whether you're 80, I don't care whether you're 20, I don't care whether you're in your 40s. But you today have an invitation from God to say, God, I want to wrestle with you like I've never wrestled before. God, I want to lay hold of you. There's a grace that God be- will begin to release of where we'll begin to lay hold of God and not quit. And I don't know whether today you are in a season of where you feel like you're quitting and you feel like you have no more energy to go, to, to, to expense Or maybe you feel like you're, you know what, it's just fine being nominal. It's just fine coming and appearing. But I believe that there's an invitation from God this morning to encounter Him and to see His face. Maybe there's some of us who are living in our brother's clothes to get the Father's blessing. But God wants to meet you. God wants to meet you. Even as the band leads us into a song, can I just invite all of us to stand? I'm going to repeat Andres' three points from last week just to sort of frame how we meditate and worship God this morning. Do we live a life of convenience or sacrifice? Do I have a structure in my life that communicates my value for God? Do I obey God promptly in every area of my life? How many of you were wrestling with God when Andre was going through those points last week? I was wrestling with God because I, I know that I've sometimes lived a life of convenience in my encounter with God. I know that I've, I've little structure in my life that communicates my value for God. I know that sometimes when God calls, I don't obey Him promptly. And I believe it was a wrestle for me last week. And t- today, I just want us to frame those thoughts again in our mind, even as we begin to worship God. Do we live a life of convenience? Or do we live a life of sacrifice? Do we structure things in our life that, that, that put value in who God is over our lives or do we obey God promptly in our lives so Lord even this morning I'm asking God even for the grace of God the grace that allows us to lay hold of you and not quit to just come even right now in Jesus name spirit of wisdom and revelation I'm asking for every thought life every mind every heart in this room to begin to have a revelation of who you are God